0: Well, good morning, everybody. I just want to take a second to thank Gabe and Tasha. They were specifically involved in, in leading us through the course of, of worship over the last several months. It's something I'm going to be uh, assigned to do. So can we give, give them a round of applause just as a, as a gratitude for their leadership in that way? If you're new with us today, me too. I'm uh, the new associate pastor. My name is Eric Marshall, and it's great to be here with you. Uh, thank you to everybody. We've just been welcomed so wonderfully by you, our new church family, and we're just excited for what God holds in store for us. And, um, you know, we have uh, I've done this moving thing quite a bit. This is, uh, believe it or not, we're, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary. My wife Amanda and I uh, here in August in 10 years of marriage. This is our sixth time Moving, and so if it's okay with you guys, can we stay a little bit? It'd be all right? Okay. <clears throat> as much as we've moved, you think we would actually get really comfortable with it? But we just really, really hate it, and especially in this particular move, it was uh, pretty hot and pretty rigorous for us. And I was reminded of our of our series postcards from Paul. And if you haven't been here in the month of July and following, we're kind of tracing the ministry and the life of of Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, who I'll share a little bit more about later, but really responsible for how the church has grown to to what it's become. And we are the beneficiaries. We, as people who sit here worshiping in freedom uh, in Willoughby Hills, what an amazing thing, all from those specific efforts. So, uh, if you haven't been here with us that's what we're tracking through so I was reminded of this series postcards from Paul in the middle of moving because every once in a while i would take a break you know and all of the rigors and difficulties of moving i would take a break and i would scroll down in social media instagram facebook and i would see all these amazing vacation pictures of my friends and you know there's something called vacation envy you know i i just i had it tremendously um, with all of these pictures and these things that I was that I was viewing, actually, Pastor Steve got in on the action too on the what seemed to be the most the hottest day, and we were going through a, a lot of stress and struggle through the move. Um, Steve texted me a picture of a, a cooler full of walleye that he had caught um, with his friends, and I said, "You know, good job, Steve. I'm happy for you." Um, no, so this is—it's just amazing, amazing uh, to be here, uh, and I'm excited to to kind of carry on through this series in Postcards from Paul. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Steve took us to the, the city of of Corinth, and we're kind of tracing now in what is Paul's third missionary journey. Um, as Christianity continued to spread through his efforts, he sort of, by the third time now, really re- reinforcing that. And if you could see on the map, gives you a little bit of a picture here, where he, in the blue arrow, taking us all the way through uh, uh, to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, and then comes back on the red arrow. Come, arrow comes back through, and comes near the city of. Ephesus, And he comes near the city of Ephesus and doesn't go into Ephesus specifically because this event that I'm going to read for you in Acts chapter 19. So if you want to follow along with me in Acts chapter 19, you can follow along in the Bibles that you might have or the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, I think we'd love to give one to you. And there's words there on the screen for you as well. So Acts chapter 19, and I'm going to read from 23 to 27. About that time, no little disturbance broke out concerning the way. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the artisans. These he gathered together with the workers of the same trade and said, Men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You also see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned. And she will be deprived of her majesty that brought all Asia and the world to worship her. In the ancient world, you have people. And in many ways, people just like you and, and me. But this is the ancient world. This is a primitive world. This is, this is a world where the advances of science and technology and understanding aren't quite there. And so they come to a place where they simply observe and they recognize that there are forces at work that influence their life, that affect their life, that they are submissive to. One quick example, most people in the ancient world uh, relied on agriculture. Agriculture relied on something simple as the rain, something we take for granted all the time for rain. And yet... The rain, the amount of rain, and sometimes too much of that rain, would influence, potentially harm, or potentially help them to flourish as a people. Their livelihood was fixated and was completely dependent on that one thing, the rain. And it was such a force of power, and it was such authority over their lives, that they began to wonder that there might be something else at work going on with this thing called the rain. And so over time, they began to personify these forces, these these works of power above them. And they began to call them names and and attach stories to them and have gods that would represent these different elements of of power that that affected their life. And this wasn't just in the Greco-Roman world that we're reading about in Acts chapter 19. This is all over the world. And even though not many people today, they worship different gods, this was prevalent throughout the entire ancient world. This was the standard. And so as we arrive here in the city of Ephesus, the strength or the, the most worshiped God was Artemis. And we might remember Artemis from elementary when we learned the Greek gods and goddesses. And, you know, we we talk about Greek mythology and we learn about some of those different things. But it was no different than some of the other regions of the world. Artemis actually was a Greek goddess that came into Ephesus as Greek influence began to spread there. Artemis originally was the goddess of the moon and of wildlife. Later, she developed and evolved and became the goddess of hunting, which wildlife and hunting seem a little contradictory to me, but whatever. And so, um, as, as influence began to spread into Ephesus, there was a local goddess there. It was the goddess of fertility, and so over time, they just sort of kind of mixed together. And so, Artemis, and this is what you probably would have learned in elementary school, is that Artemis was the goddess of fertility, and you could see fertility, if you were here a couple months ago, I shared about our story, having a hard time having kids, and then being blessed by God uh, for our daughter, uh, Josephine, and fertility is a powerful, powerful thing. I mean, right, that's how we humans make more, right? (laughs) It's a powerful thing, and so you would understand that they would make a goddess to that. And so as these gods and these goddesses are developed and they have such power and such authority over over how life actually works on a daily basis, the people, the primitive people, the people in the ancient world, they decided that, well, they better stay in favor of these gods or these goddesses. They they need to be on their good side. And so they would build uh, altars and and temples and places of worship, places where they would extend their gratitude and lift up honor and, and worth and and praise to these different gods and goddesses. And as Artemis' popularity began to grow in Ephesus, someone had the idea that they should build a temple for Artemis. So one guy tried it out, and as war came through the area, that particular temple got destroyed. And then there was another guy about 250 years before Jesus came around. His name was Denocrates. And Denocrates, he was going to give it another go. And he built this illustrious temple that was for Artemis. And you could see maybe uh, on the screen um, there a picture of the the temple of Artemis. It's considered to be one of the ancient, seven ancient wonders of the world, if you know what, what that is. It's in, not really in existence now. It's kind of just ruins if you were to go to Greece and travel and, and see that. Uh, it was destroyed about 400 years after Jesus. But this was the landscape. And this is what people saw when they went about their daily life in Ephesus. This was the landscape of when Paul did his ministry and others did their ministry in Ephesus. This was the visual reminder of who was that authority, of who was in charge in that area. Height had something to do with it. In fact, there, there was this, this idea that, that gods or power had to do with height or maybe also had to do with the center of something. So you would see all the temples and stuff at the center or something high uh, above. And so if you, some of you, if you've been in church a long time, you've read, read the Bible. In Psalm, there's a scripture that talks about um, how um, I lift my eyes to the hills and says, where does my help come from? And scholars think that this person was looking at all the different um, mountains and, that were dedicated to the different gods and asked, where will my help come from? And said, my help will come from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And so this temple stood there and was the primary visual and reminder for who was that authority. But it wasn't just the temple that was the structure dedicated to the goddess Artemis. There were other structures, structures of society, structures of life, daily life, that that were built and established over time. Life surrounded this idea of worship and, and praise to Artemis. It affected everything that they did. Now Artemis is one of the Greek goddesses, like I said, we we learned about in elementary class. And today we call that what Greek what? Mythology, right? And so we openly talk about it as if it is fictional, as if it as myth, even though in that day they didn't uh, the people didn 't believe that, but we recognize that as as myth, and in that sometimes we feel a little bit of distance from those types of people and the the things that they did and the life that they that they lived, so we feel kind of distance from that. But I wonder if we have more in common with them than we than we realize. I wonder if there are also structures of life structures of our families, structures of our of our time, structures of our schedule, structures that we build to those other things that are are not of the Most High God. Does That speak to anyone? As a pastor, I've talked to a lot of people my age, my stage of life, with you know kids, and especially those that have uh, teenagers. God bless you. And I often hear from people. And they talk about how they'll like sign their kids up for something. And it's a really good thing. It's a sport, something, you know, it's beneficial, positive influence. They think it's going to be a good thing. But then like five or six other sign-up sheets come their way, and they say, well, why not? This is not a bad thing in and of itself, so they sign up for that and sign up for that, and they find themselves as parents running, their entire life is just running around from one place to the next, and maybe they'll look back when they finish their week, take a nap, wake up, and realize or ask the question, what, what did my week consist of? Or what, did, what does my life mean right now? What purpose do I have? Because all I feel like is a pinball going from one place to the next. Sometimes we make these little temples of our lives. And that's what a, a God is, actually. A God is anything that we would build a temple to. A structure of our lives anything that we would dedicate, a, a currency, and not just our money, but the currency of our, of our time, the currency of our focus and attention, the currency of our schedules, the, the currency of our energy, anything that we would begin to build. And once it's built, we just don't know how to, how to get out of. One of the convicting things that I had with this and continue to have every once in a while is when my five-year-old son says, Dad, when are you going to get off your phone? Yeah. We all do it. We build these structures and these things and, and, and then they influence and they, they guide our lives like a like a heavy stream of water, and we can't row out of it because they're so powerful and they're so strong. And so this. Fellow Demetrius, he made a living off of the worship of Artemis. He made a living um, and benefit from it. And let's give him, cut him a break a little bit because he's just a working man, right? He, there were passerbys in Ephesus, And the city of Ephesus was much like Corinth, as Pastor Steve described last week. Corinth, he described as the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Ephesus wasn't quite that way, but in the entire province of Asia, it was a really important city. It was a port, and many people would come and go. And so Demetrius would sell these little statuettes, or he at least make the statuettes that would be sold in the marketplaces to all of the travelers, to all the different people, because people that were visiting that area from, were from all over, recognizing this goddess of Artemis. So he made a living with this. But then these meddling Christians and this really annoying guy named Paul comes on to the scene. And Paul's really just developing what had been taught to him from the Hebrews uh, which later became Israel and the Jews that we know we read about in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they were the ones that instead of coming out and saying, well, my God's better than your God, like it was done in the ancient world, you know, like when you're in elementary, my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> instead of coming out and saying that my God is, is better than your God, they say, no, there's a, there's a most high God. Check it out in, in Psalm chapter 97. And and verse nine, he says, for you, O Lord, are most high, most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. So they were the ones that come in and say, no, those, those aren't gods. There's one God, a most high God. And Paul in these meddling Christians were coming in with this destructive belief system that those little Artemises, those little statuettes that they were making, those little things that they were benefiting from, the things that they, were, uh, they had structured their lives from, well, that's not, really a, that's not really a God at all. And as people began to believe, they began to believe that message, and it was hurting business. And so Demetrius begins to cause a stir cause a a riot. I love this series because I'm a big fan of Paul. And Paul's really the reason why I went into pastoral ministry when I became a, a pastor. Paul is like a faith hero of mine. I mean, he is just this giant of faith. And my favorite story, and I think Pastor Steve might take you through this in a couple weeks, where he could have just sort of played it safe and kind of went the the more comfortable route, and he could have gotten out of the trouble that he had dug himself into. And instead, he says, no, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And so he takes uh, the message of the gospel to the city of Rome. Now, think about that for just a second, because we sit here in Willoughby Hills, and we benefit from worshiping God in freedom, which is just an awesome thing. And there is Christianity in North America largely because of it being brought over from Europe. And I realize there's some difficult history there, but it was brought over from Europe. And Europe had Christianity because of Rome and the Roman influence. And Rome had Christian influence because this one man decided to say, I appeal to Caesar, and I'm going to take the gospel to this empire. So this figure, Paul, he's just amazing, a hero of mine. We have Paul, and then, and then there's this guy, Demetrius, great normal guy, but really angry about what the Christians have, have done to his business. I aspire so much to be like Paul. I wish I could be like Paul. Too many times I find myself more like Demetrius. I struggle with Jesus meddling with my life. Can you identify with this? I, I struggle when God comes into my life and messes it all up. Right when I'm comfortable, right when I have a a control over where things are going and Jesus comes in and just messes it all up. Sometimes, and this sounds weird to say, but Jesus ruins everything. (laughs) When I um, was enjoying my BC days, you know, before children, when when I was enjoying those days... Um, life was just great. And I don't remember a whole lot. It's kind of a fog. Our son actually will be turning six here uh, in a month or so. And on paper, it's six years, but it feels like eternity. And it, before kids, I just don't remember. It's kind of a fog for me. But I do remember some characteristics. I remember having more time. I remember it being more quiet. <laughs> I remember... Kind of just doing whatever I would do. It's kind of embarrassing to share with you, but Amanda and I used to get, um, for dinner, we used to get um, those TV trays and we would sit there and eat dinner and watch Dr. Phil on TV (laughs) and talk about all of the messed up issues that were being talked about on Dr. Phil. That's kind of, why did we do that? I have no idea. That's kind of embarrassing to say, but we did it because we could right? We had the freedom. It was such a good time. And now, well, what is it now? I had a friend of mine, best friend, and he could tell me anything. You know, he still does. Sometimes too much. But he's that kind of friend. And he said, you know, I've been praying for you. When we found out that Amanda was pregnant with Asher, we were so excited. And he said, I'm so happy for you. I'm just so excited. And we've been praying for you and everything. And he steps back, he's like, you know your life is over, right? <laughs> I was like, well, what do you mean? I mean, this is what we, is what we wanted. And he was right. <laughs> all that time, all that freedom, all that stuff that we would enjoy, it's gone now. The thing that was better for us, the thing that God had in mind for our lives required that we'd have to say goodbye to some other things. And good things at that. Jesus kind of ruins everything. And if you're sitting here today, and, and maybe you're just like an exploring person, and maybe you're just kind of, well, I'm just checking out this whole Jesus thing and all of that, you gotta know. I wish I could lower the bar for you or water it down in, in some way. But in some ways, Jesus ruins everything. My campus pastor told me a story once about how when he first became a Christian, his whole countenance had changed. He was just completely joyful and something was different about him and people around him began to take notice. And one particular friend had asked, he said, there's something different about you. What's wrong with you? And so he began to talk to him about his faith, about how he came to, to meet Jesus and he invited Jesus into his heart and into his life, and he was just changed. He was just transformed. And his friend's like, whoa, I I want that. I want some of what you're drinking. I want some of that. And he said, okay, but you know those sort of things that we used to to do, I, I I know that's kind of part of your life still, and you might have to say goodbye to that lifestyle. And he hung up the phone, the friend hung up the phone sad, Because he didn't know if he wanted to take that big of a jump. Jesus tells a story about a wealthy young man who had everything going for him. He had everything except he just wanted to know how to get to heaven. And so he approaches Jesus and he says, what's the most I can get out of doing the least? He actually says, he said, how can I um, receive eternal life? And Jesus says, well, have you obeyed all the rules? Yeah, I've been doing that ever since I was a little boy. I've been doing all that. Oh, that's great, Jesus says. And he says, just just one more thing. Sell everything that you own, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And the story says that the man walked away sad because he had a lot of stuff, and he liked his things. There is this transition that takes place when, when God meddles, and Jesus Christ meddles into our lives. And it requires this movement from a certain life, from a certain situation, sometimes even more dramatically, from a certain relationship, from a certain job, from a certain thing that we had built structures or temples to, and we didn't even know it. Jesus ruins everything, but... It's actually, it's actually a good thing. When Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, he describes to them, yes, what they are leaving behind in coming to the faith, but also what they're saying yes to. Take a listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to read uh, verses 17 23. It says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want to close with a story. On the screen, you'll see a picture. This is a picture of me baptizing a student of mine. I was a missionary and a teacher in Haiti for three years. And her name is Sarah. And Sarah was a part of a class that was very trying for me. I didn't think I was going to make it. In fact, the grace of God pulled me through and pulled them through as well. Sarah reached sixth grade and decided that she wanted to be baptized, that she wanted to receive Christ. And so... She consulted with the teacher, but she told her teacher, who was a little bit smaller in stature, that she wanted Mr. Eric to do the baptism. And it was a team effort. We were all on staff together as teachers and, and missionaries, but, but Sarah wanted Mr. Eric to do it because she was afraid of the ocean, not only because the ocean was strong and that she was kind of frail, but she was afraid of the ocean because voodoo still had its influence, its structures within that society. And in voodoo, there's a great deal of superstition that exists. And part of that superstition is with the ocean, that there are evil powers at work within the ocean. And she was afraid. Even in making this step, she was afraid that she would be swept out by those evil powers. And so she had asked me to do the baptism and we had talked about it and I wanted to get a kind of a a gauge on where she was in her faith. And so we decided to do the baptism and in the school, we would close up school early and we'd all march out into the ocean, the, the beachfront and we would do baptisms. It was amazing, amazing experience and scene. And so I had to grab my clothes for the baptism before school. So I just grabbed, you know, whatever I could find. And I didn't realize that I grabbed a shirt that I had received for free by working security at the Alive concert, you know, the Alive festival that our youth had gone in. Yeah, I work security because I'm such an intimidating presence. (laughs) But, so I put this on, and I didn't realize until I saw the picture, the, the word security on my shirt. And so here's the... This just amazing, amazing girl. And she's trembling in fear because of what this other life or what the structures of what these gods had, had built in her life. And here are the arms of security raising her down into the water as a symbol for her dying to that structure, dying to that former life, and then being raised again, being washed and cleansed by by the living waters of, of God's spirit into a new life, as a new creation, as a new being. Praise God. And it was all because of those arms of security. And so, so many times, you know, as Christians um, or as searching people, we think that somehow we need to kind of manufacture a, a transition from one life to the next. And there's no doubt there's, there's, um, there's willpower involved, there's discipline involved, there's intentionality involved, there's no question about that. But sometimes it's just as simple as placing ourselves into those secure arms Of the most high God The creator of heaven and of earth The God that is far above all other gods Sometimes it's just as easy as placing ourselves Into those secure arms I wonder if we could do that today I wonder if Whether you're an exploring person You're kind of checking this thing out Maybe that's something that you A step that that you would take or maybe you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, you've been in church a long time and maybe you've kind of forgotten, you've kind of gone back to that, that old life, that old way, or, or maybe began to distrust those secure arms. That's my prayer for all of us is not that we would find strength to better ourselves or to manufacture some kind of form of a Christian life and to build more structures, but just to place our whole selves, our lives, into those secure arms of the Father. Let's pray. So God, wherever we stand today, as a person of faith or or maybe non-faith, I pray that you would speak into our hearts. I pray that you would remind us of how safe and secure you are and that in you we have no reason to fear. Reassure us, O God, of who you are, that you are the most high God and that whatever structures to other gods that we have built, whatever life that we have built for ourselves, your invitation is still true to come and to be with you. And yes, be with you eternally, but to commune with you, to, to talk with you, to, to walk with you on a daily basis. Lord, let that call into your secure arms ring true in our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Let's respond to that by standing together and declaring our Lord is mighty and His name is wonderful and beautiful. Would you sing? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Death could not hold. Death could not hold they'll toll before you, you silenced the boast of sin and rain. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are
0: people of God, as you go, go knowing that you are held in the safe and secure arms of our heavenly Father. Go in his peace, that whatever you would face, whatever you would encounter, he is the most high God. Amen.